tools for living, room to grow, a space of grace to become everything God wants us to be. You're listening to The Living Room Podcast with Joanna Weaver, Episode 20. Well, if you're like I used to be, dear friend, you know that you need to get into God's Word, but you really don't know how to do it or where to begin. Well, for me, my love for the Bible started in women's Bible study as a young pastor's wife, and I'm so excited to share today's interview with one of the best Bible teachers I know, Jen Wilkin. Jen has a passion to see women love God, not only with their heart, but especially with their mind as they study God's Word in meaningful ways. Here's our conversation. Well, I am so excited to have Jen Wilkin with us. Jen is an amazing Bible study teacher. She's an author. Uh, She's got books like Women of the Word, How to Study the Bible, Both with Our Hearts and Minds. None like him in his image. And then we've personally done several of her studies, including Sermon on the Mount. And right now we're in God of the Covenant and so, so powerful. Jen, I am so happy to have you with us. Welcome to the living room. Thanks, Joanna. So nice to be on. Oh, man. I, I was telling you before we got on that I feel like I kind of know you because I just spent the morning with you at our own Bible study. <laughs> oh, so powerful. Trust me, you have a much better hairstyle in, in the version of me you were watching this morning than in real life right now. <laughs> oh, I need to have you get a snapshot so we can put it in the show notes. <laughs> oh, it is kind of it is kind of nice to have the edited version of us before the world rather than the just the Tuesday morning version. <laughs> Well, girl, you are busy, busy. Not only do you write and speak all, all around the place, but you're also on staff with the Village Church. Tell us a little bit about your position. Yeah, my current role there is as the director of classes and curriculum as part of the Village Church Institute. So I have responsibility for all of our adult classes. And the largest portion of that would be our men's and women's Bible studies. Wow, I love it. And so that I... I I think that's so neat because like for me, a lot of my writing has come out of my ministry at the church that we serve. But um, how does that, how does that work in your life? Do you find yourself kind of writing studies and then discerning whether or not they should become published? Or is that just kind of the process that you use to write your studies? Well, it's, it's been interesting. The studies that I have, have made available thus far have all been sort of the product of either my teaching in a living room or teaching in a parachurch context. And when I started on staff at the village in this role, we started writing collaboratively. Um, and I act sort of like the, um, the managing editor on the project. But what we're doing is really formulaic. And so they have a very similar feel to what I was writing when it was just me writing for the studies that were happening uh, as part of my parachurch ministry. So I don't know in terms of publishing, I honestly, I never thought I would publish any of it and was kind of just making it available for free. And that's something that the village continues to do anytime we put out a new study is they they place it on the website and you can find it and use it. I love that. Yeah. I love that generosity. I think, I think God really blesses that. So I'd, I'd like to dig a little deeper. You never thought that you would, be uh, traditionally published then? No, I didn't. I had no, and I certainly never thought I would write a book. Um, I had discovered blogging uh, as a means of communicating additional content that I hadn't had time to teach in my Bible study. 
(laughs) (laughs) that it could be a teaching platform. It sort of made sense for me as just sort of an online place to process your thoughts. I didn't really have a good feel for that. Um, But then as soon as I was like, oh, wait a minute, this is a way that I can take that 45 minutes of teaching I had and turn it into a much longer time period, which is, you know, what the teacher secretly always wants. Um, I started using it for that and then also to address some uh, parenting questions that were bubbling up through some of the the people we were forming relationships with at the church. But I didn't know how to check the statistics on it. I didn't know how to know if anyone was reading it or not. Uh, And over time, it it developed something of a following. And uh, that that ended up leading to uh, through through several different uh, things, leading to a publisher just calling me and asking me if I wanted to write. Wow. That is so cool. That is so cool. So how how do you do all that you do? I mean, because you also have a family, right? I do. So what does that look like? Because I know there's some girls that are listening that are um, they're in ministry either full time or part time or volunteer basis, and that can always be a challenge of how do I balance work and home, a ministry, and and just even intimacy with God. How how is that all fleshed out for you? Oh, it's been just so easy, Joanna. I mean, has it been for you? <laughs> um, lately. Yeah. I um yeah, we have four children who are now grown. Um my youngest went to college in uh August. Uh so is he's just finishing his freshman year. And so um my entire life as a mom, I was either participating in or creating and teaching Bible studies for women. And uh, and either working part time or full time in some some ministry capacity, um, only full time recently. And a lot of that is just has been due to, I think most of our women listeners would attest to the fact that there are just not a whole lot of full time roles for women in the church, uh, teaching, writing curriculum. So I'm thrilled that that has turned into a source of full time employment for me. But understand it's still pretty rare out there, right? Uh, but it's always been pretty much a full-time concern whether I was being paid to do it in, in any way or not. And when the kids were little, the only way I can describe it is that it's felt like a compulsion for me. It's the thing that I know the Lord has given me to do. And my husband recognizes that and has always been extremely supportive. Uh, and not only that, but I always do like to mention that he did not travel like his job allowed him to be home, you know, at, at, at about five thirty every night. So I had a ton of support with the kids. Um, certainly in the evenings and on the weekends, and then also a husband who was just completely bought into me doing my thing. Isn't that a blessing? That is so. I I have that same covering, and it, it. I just I'm so grateful. I do not take it for granted. Oh, it's a it's a it's a game changer in terms of just what you're able to actually commit to do and um, your ability to focus on it. And I, I do always think, you know, I think sometimes there are younger women who will ask me the question of, you know, how did you balance? And what what sometimes the question behind that question is is was there a cost to your family associated with you doing ministry? And uh, and if so, how did you? How did you try to get rid of that cost? And um, and and so I, I do always like to sort of point out to those younger women that there's always a cost. There's a cost to anything uh, that takes our time when we have uh, small families and even growing families. Um, but that doesn't mean that you aren't willing to pay it. It means that you weigh it and decide what what is worth your time and what isn't. And 
And when it came to my ministry commitments, our agreement as a family was, this is worth it. And then um, because we've said this is worth it, then as even as the children grew, our whole family worked together to make sure that when mom was gone on Tuesday nights teaching that everybody got their homework done, managed all their own stuff, got to bed on time. You know, it became a family effort instead of just this is mom's thing that she does. I think that's so good. So important too. And I think, I think that there might be some young women or even older women who are like that. I don't have that kind of support. And it makes a huge difference. Can really rub us the wrong way. But I, I found that for me, at least my uh, schedule is limited and God himself kind of put those limits on me. And, but each, each time, um, an opportunity comes my way. I've learned to just bring it to John and together we pray and ask the Lord what he thinks. And as, as I've been willing to kind of submit under his leadership, I feel like that's freed him to bless everything that I do. And if there is something that he doesn't feel comfortable with, I've learned to listen too. Has your husband been a little bit of that sounding board for you as well? Oh, he's so great. Yeah. Oh, he's so great about all of that. And he's, he's also a truth teller with me. Like he's the one who, uh, you know, he, he knows that he's the one who has to say, Hey, you said this, is that what you really mean? (laughs) (laughs) Someone else might not be willing to challenge me on something. I mean, the Lord knew exactly who I needed to be married to. And uh, he's very good at, um, at keeping me, just balanced and and focused, and at the same time, um, looking at the the particular gifts that the Lord has given me and and celebrating them instead of you know seeing them as some sort of potential threat. He has always been like, "Oh my gosh, the church needs this. Our family mm-hmm. needs this." Um, and and so that's just been a really fun thing to see with him. But you know, really, we all have different capacities and we all have different stages of life that we go through and we all have different marriages and all of that impacts our ability to say yes or to say no to different things. And those things are typically changing over the course of our lifetimes. And so what might've worked five years ago may not work anymore now. So there's always a, an ongoing conversation between us about what, what makes sense now versus what made sense, you know, even two years back. That is so, so good. You know, I feel like if there was one thing that just kind of is an overarching theme in what you do in the body of Christ is just creating a hunger for the word of God. And I love that. And as I was uh, listening to you actually last week teach in the God of the Covenant study, um, you you got choked up <laughs> several, <laughs> points, several points through the study. And I can't even tell you how much that touched me because because I think we so desperately need yes we need biblical literacy but we need that the word of God coming alive to us and and touching us at those deep places can you talk about that how do we study the Bible with both our hearts and our minds I think that when people start thinking about reading the Bible as an exercise of the mind, when they start thinking about um, what it means to think critically about what they're reading in in terms of just like weighing one idea against another or even looking for patterns, just some of those basic things that you would do in any line by line approach, that it can feel like it's going to be a clinical or a cold practice. 
Um, but really, if you think about anything that you've ever learned in your whole life, what begins as an exer- a, a thought exercise um, moves from our thoughts to our hearts uh, in such a way that we develop a love for the thing about which we're learning. And one of the examples I'll use to, to teach on this is um, my son learning to play the piano. Uh, when he first began learning, there were a lot of mechanical things that he needed to learn to be able to develop an aptitude. But in the midst of developing an aptitude, he developed a deep love for the instrument. Mm. And that just grew over time. And the more that he practiced his aptitude, the more that his love for the instrument and the music increased. Uh, and so I would say there's a, there's a loose parallel there to studying the Bible, but there's this other excellent part about studying the Bible that learning the piano doesn't necessarily have, and that's the Holy Spirit speaking to us through the words of Scripture. And I, I would say that if the Word is indeed living and active, as it's described to be, then uh, anyone who has the Holy Spirit indwelling them because they are a believer in Christ should come to the Word expectant that um, thinking deeply and rightly about God will indeed transform our desires and will, will transform our emotions so that they align with the truth of who God is. That's really what I'm advocating for when I ask women to have a thought level interaction with the Bible, not that you would shut down your emotions. I mean, you, you can, as you've noted in the video, I have this televangelist problem that happens when I try to read scripture and I start to cry. Uh, and I cannot stop it. Like I have asked the Lord to make it go away and it has actually gotten worse. So <laughs> uh, don't, don't pray for it to go away. That, that is powerful. I mean, that is it though, is that the, 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 the words of scripture are life giving. They are God communicating to us about who he is and about the implications of that for us as his image bearers. And that is a deeply emotional. It is a it is a, it is a desire level impact that the spirit um, takes the words of scripture and uses them to to reshape us. Amen. Well, I think the problem is is if we if we don't let it touch us, mm-hmm. I think it really just remains head knowledge, and we know a lot about God, but we don't know God, and. I think that's the thing I so appreciated about your ministry is you take us to the word and you teach us how to look at it with a critical thought and all of that. But then, but then just very gently and not, not on a, not on a feely, you know, uh, kind of emotional basis, but you just say, how, how does this, what does this look like for you? How does this affect your life? And I think for me, that's where everything changed. Because otherwise, I was just reading through the Bible without the Bible getting through to me. Um, learning to read it in with the lens of what what is this speaking to my heart? Well, I'd love I'd love it if it'd be okay with you just to give us a little glimpse of of what that looks like in your personal life as you're studying God's word. How does it be, go beyond just head knowledge and doing our duty, our Christian duty? to read the word of God, to really allow it to become that heart knowledge. Uh, You know, I I think a lot of it is just coming to the Bible, as you've described um, a a little bit, just asking the Bible to speak to us of God. I I grew up, I think, with an idea that the Bible was supposed to tell me about me 
And, and certainly the Bible does tell us about who we are, but it does so through the lens of who God is. And what I know that I was missing the most as I entered into adulthood in my interactions with the scriptures was uh, I lacked a transcendent vision of God. I did not, I perceived him to be near and um, almost sort of snugly, but I did not understand the God who thundered from Mount Sinai. I did not understand the God of Mount Zion, who is a consuming fire. And not only that, but I was a little terrified that that God, uh, in my perception at the time, had at one time existed in the Old Testament. And I didn't know how to bring that image forward to the New Testament without it um, perhaps doing injury to my understanding of, of what it meant that God loved me. And so coming into um, more of a maturity in my faith, a big part of that was coming to understand that the Bible is giving us a picture of a God who is near, but who also is transcendent. So you think about the opening lines of the Lord's Prayer. He is our Father, but He's also in heaven. And those two intention are what um, help us to then read the scriptures, um, not just for encouragement, which was a big pattern that had been given to me, I think, in my upbringing, but also um, that they would be exhorting us, that they would be calling us to repentance, and that even as believers, we live with a right understanding that the God who has sought relationship with us is seated between the cherubim. And those two ideas, um, both the God who is near and the God who transcends, are necessary for us to, to come to the scriptures in the right posture um, so that we're looking not just to feel close to him, but to understand what a privilege it is that relationship has been extended to us at all. Oh, so true. So true. And I think, I think we tend towards one extreme or the other. Oh, absolutely. So how do we bring, how did, how did that come together for you? I know that's probably a big question, but when did those pieces start fitting together rather than kind of clashing against each other? Well, one of the things that has been a huge blessing in my life is that my earthly father is, uh, is a very kind and good father. And so you, know, you were saying people tend to go one direction or the other with this. And I think so much of that often has to do with what their earthly father uh, has been like, what kind of an influence that father has had on them. Because uh, my earliest conceptions of God very easily went to that he was good and that he loved me. Um, but for many people, that is not the case. Um, and, 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 and also my father is not a heavy authoritarian figure. And so, um, to, so I think the other, the holiness of God was the piece that for me needed reinforcement. And when my husband and I were in our late twenties, we were in a newlywed Sunday school class and they did a study by R.C. Sproul on the holiness of God. And it was the beginning, I think for me of, of, of realizing the piece that I was missing and, and then developing a real hunger to know um, I had a I, I would say I had a, a decent familiarity with the with the communicable attributes of God the things that are true about God that we understand in our humanity that can also be true about us so I knew that he was merciful and loving and good and um, um, and peaceful and long-suffering I knew those things about him but I had not meditated on some of his in incommunicable attributes that he was omniscient, omnipotent, omnipresent. Those things were, were not things I had spent a lot of time thinking about. 
And, and so uh, that became sort of the pursuit of about, I'd say, five or 10 years just reading and thinking and uh, even teaching studies uh, on, on who God is. Um, that, and and I've, I've come to see even more clearly over the last five or 10 years how we call it the doctrine of God, but that the doctrine of God was in many ways missing from what we were teaching in our churches. And uh, it, it's really important. Uh, it helps us to read the Bible um, with an eye toward what it's telling us is true about God. And so um, that became something I wanted to recover. I love that. Um, I don't know if this is original with you, but um, I heard someone quote you as saying that that the Bible is a story of God. He's the main character. And that has just been resonating in my heart because I think it kind of goes to what you're what you're talking about. We tend to make it all about us as though we're the main character. But if we could really grasp that this is the story of God and we are a part of that story rather than him being a part of our story. Right. How how can we how can we wrap our heads around that better? Well, I do think that um, we many of us, what I have found in, in leading Bible studies and asking, like you've probably noticed in the in the two studies that you've done. Uh, actually, I don't know that I did it in the Sermon on the Mount study, but definitely in, in God of Covenant, God of Creation. At the end of each um, section of homework, we ask the same question, and it's, um, "What did you learn about God in the text this week?" Yeah. And and what I've learned, uh, having that be the question that's asked every week over the period of, I mean, I've taught now for almost twenty years, twenty five years, is um, that women have a difficult time with answering that question. Uh, in fact, a lot of times I would get emails from women saying, hey, what was the answer to that question on week five <laughs> of the first Peter study? You know, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, you you need to come up with the answer. You know, like you can do it. Uh, but but we we have almost like an, an, an atrophied or an underutilized muscle when it comes to answering that question. We have become accustomed to looking for the lesson that we are supposed to take from a particular portion of the text, but we have forgotten to start by saying, but what is this story or this psalm or um, this part of this epistle telling me about who God is? And, and, uh, and so that then changes the application that we're going to draw from it. So like we're, we just finished a study of first and second Samuel at the village. And in uh, first Samuel, you come across that famous story of David and Goliath. And we have a tendency to read it and turn it into almost a fable that it, that has a, a moral of the story that we're to take away, you know, stand up and face your giants. And it's not that there is nothing to that, but the first question that we need to ask is what is God doing through the story of David and Goliath? God is demonstrating that what he has said will come to pass will come to pass. God is demonstrating that he is he alone is God among nations. Uh, and and so uh, the miracle is not David and the stones so much as it is God striking down Goliath in a miraculous manner. Uh, and and then we have a tendency to want to identify in the story with David when in fact in any of those stories once you've identified what God is doing you begin to realize oh I'm actually supposed to identify with the Israelites. Like I'm the people cowering in the background, wringing our hands and wondering what we should do. Uh, which of course, when you see that God is, is reigning sovereignly and supremely in that story, that has a lot to say to those who would cower and tremble in the face of opposition. Well, and the thing that occurs to me, the beautiful part of approaching Bible study like that is that our faith 
is placed in the one who truly is all powerful, all wonderful, all perfect. If it's all about how it applies to me, uh, my fallibilities, if that's where I'm putting my hope is how well I can apply this, then when life when I don't apply it well, <laughs> I begin to shake. But when I see God in the story and what his faithfulness, and I have to just confess, that's probably one of my weak places, is I tend to look more at my disability than God's all-sufficiency. And I love this. He's the main character. I get to play a part that he is the one that it all points to, that it all needs to revolve around and yeah. And I think what I love this does is you're talking about we see God in all of scripture. He's not just the New Testament God. He's the Old Testament God, but we see his love and his patience and his goodness and his power throughout. Um, we have a better picture of who God really is. Yes. Mm-hmm. How um, how would you say to that woman who's new to Bible study and She's like, I feel so um, embarrassed because maybe, maybe she just is a new Christian. Maybe she was raised in the church, but she really doesn't know the Bible like she knows she should. And it feels so daunting and overwhelming. What, how would you encourage her to be? Well, first of all, I would just encourage her that she is not the exception. She is actually what she is articulating is the way that just about every person I meet feels about the Bible. And I will tell you that I still feel it even after years of teaching the Bible. And I think what we think is that if we begin to study that that feeling will go away at some point. And I don't think that that's the case. I think the deeper that we get into the scriptures, the more we see that there is to learn and uh, and so that feeling of inadequacy is one that I think many of us are carrying around and we think it's a secret that we have to keep when we're in church or when we're in a Bible study. And so what we do at the village is we say, hey, let's just all say it. We don't know our Bibles as well as we should. And let's change that. Let's start moving forward and let's give you some tools so that you're not passive learner, just simply listening to a sermon and, and, and taking in what's being said, but so that you're an active learner, so that you are um, partnering in the work, that you are doing work yourself, that you are reading the text before you hear teaching over it, so that you're not just taking someone's word for it. Uh, and so um, like any good practice or skill that we have ever learned, we start out feeling inadequate and kind of dumb. And then over time, we grow in our proficiency. That's exactly the way my son felt the first time he sat down to play the piano. He didn't know what he was doing, and he felt clumsy and stupid the first time he finished. But then he came back the next day, and he tried again. And he came back the next day, and he tried again. And now he he plays, you know, Chopin. And so um, uh, I don't know that I feel like I'm playing Chopin from a Bible study standpoint yet. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm 50, so I've got a few years left in me to maybe get a little better at it. Uh, uh, and and uh, and then we have all of eternity. So praise the Lord. <laughs> I so I so agree. I remember being a 28 year old pastor's wife, and I would hear women say, "I love this book," and they told their Bible. And I would think, 
I don't even understand uh-huh. this book. Uh-huh. And it wasn't until I started partaking on my own, just even, you know, I teach a whole method of, of reading less so we can reflect more and really let God's word speak to us that all of a sudden, I feel like once we start and we say, Lord, would you reveal your word? Would you open my mind, spirit of wisdom and revelation, help me know God better. As we approach it with that kind of heart, it's almost, it's almost exponential. You know, I, we have this idea, well, I'm going to have to start clear back at the beginning. And yes, maybe we do. But I think we forget that we have the Holy Spirit of God who promises to lead us and guide us into all truth, who comes alongside with his power and his revelation. And I, I, I just am really, it's been burning in my heart to encourage women. Don't worry about what you are not. Just begin. Just begin. Just begin. That's exactly right. Make a beginning. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to ask you, um, as a Bible study teacher and, and writer, one of the things I've found challenging at a time at times is that I can tend to, um, if I'm not careful, approach God's word for what I can teach. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I love Bible study, and it's awesome. But how? How do you how do you keep it to where there's also that personal aspect for you? Well, I um, sometimes I get asked this question, like, what is your quiet time like versus your study time? And um, I don't distinguish between the two. um, But that means that it's even more important that when I am um, studying and I know that I will be teaching it, that I don't get ahead of it and teach something to the women that I have not first had to deal with in my own heart. Yeah. And, and, and so that's, um, man, uh, it, it, on the, on the tough weeks, you know, where you're like, wow, I have really gotten to look at my sin this week. And then you stand up and you teach, but it makes you teach from a completely different place than if you are just trying to be a good communicator, or you're just trying to make sure that you hit your three points and your conclusion and I think it definitely humanizes the teaching process. And I, I remind myself um, that ultimately I'm a co-learner with the women that I'm teaching. Um, but if I have a teaching gift, it means that I have perhaps a little bit more of a natural curiosity than, um, than the next person might. So I am out ahead of the people that I'm teaching in the sense that I'm going to read a book that they might not pick up, or I'm going to um, maybe even give more time to it than they're going to. But in terms of it hitting me in the heart, um, that's a process that I am a co-learner with them uh, along the way. I, I cannot possibly ask them to repent of something that the Spirit has not asked me to repent of before I stand up to teach it. Uh, but I also joke, I joke with the women in my studies that if they want to know the level of accountability that I need to stay in the scriptures, it's that I know I'm going to have to stand up and teach this to them. Day, and I better have spent enough time in it beforehand. <laughs> oh, I agree. I agree. I, I remember uh, we served us when we went to our last pastor. It was a very small church and we lived in the parsonage. And uh, I would teach Sunday school in the prayer room. And one Sunday I said, okay, listen, we just need to stop and pray. You guys had five miles to get right with Jesus. I had three feet. There's a vulnerability, but I think in some ways that does bring the word alive. 
because we're not just being hearers. We're not, we're not even just being teachers. We're letting God's word affect our lives. And, and again, I love, I love that. I know that not only have these studies been birthed in deep study, but they've been birthed in the crucible of your own life. One of the things I love about your teaching style is that, and I, you know, I'd be curious your answer, whether or not it's just, uh, just how you look at the world and look at the word, or if there is something strategic about how you do this. But I love how, how you're able to step back a little bit and see the overarching picture and pull things out of a story that I wouldn't have seen before. For instance, this morning you were talking about Leah and Rachel in the covenant God study. And at the very end, you said, you know, Leah is a picture of Christ in that she was rejected. Um, and, and there were just several things that you did this morning that just showed me that you, you thought in, I don't know how to say, it, is it a bigger picture mentality of how you approach it? How did those fresh, I guess what I'm asking is, how did those fresh truths come to your heart or come out of your study that you're able to then share with others or write in your books? I think that some some of that is starting to be the product of having done this for a while. There is a there is a descriptor for that. It's called biblical theology. Um, but I did not know that there was such a thing as biblical theology. I had been introduced to systematic theology, which is basically the study of doctrines that we pull together from reading the scripture. Um, but biblical theology, that idea that you see a theme that you can trace throughout the scriptures, that was a, a term that I hadn't heard probably until five years ago. And, uh, and then when I heard it, I couldn't get clear on exactly what it meant. And then I realized uh, that it was actually what I was devoting my life to learning. I just hadn't had the sort of official term for it. And that is something that that um, you can certainly read a, a, a biblical theology text or take a class on biblical theology and have someone tell you these are the themes that you can find in the scriptures. But also, if you're just reading repetitively, if you're just getting that text under your skin, I do think that you begin to just make connections uh, the more time that you spend in the text. And specifically in the story of Leah, I have just, um, and I think you you would say a similar thing, I'm guessing, based on some of the things you've written, the stories of women in particular uh, sometimes suffered a neglect in the commentaries. Yeah. And I think that is not because commentary writers uh, hate women. I think it's just because most of them are men. And so the common experience of being a woman is not something that they have meditated on as much as a woman who's reading the text has. So I do um, find a particular enjoyment in devoting thought to those stories. And uh, because rarely, uh, it's becoming increasingly common, but, but I would say that rarely in, in the older commentaries that you'll read, will you find someone drawing a connection between a woman's behavior uh, and that of Christ or a woman's story and that of Christ. Although those those stories are throughout the scriptures, so um, that story of Leah was particularly. Uh, that's why you were saying I cry. I cried all through that teaching. I think <laughs> those stories are funny to me because I think there there are a lot of women who think that the Bible is just predominantly talking about men, 
And I just have found that to not be the case. Not at all. Not at all. In fact, I, I think that's one of my favorite things about Jesus is that he is our emancipator proclamator. You know, he loves women and revealed himself to women over and over. Well, I'm I'm excited about your new study in Hebrews that's coming out. Can you give us a little teaser about what that involves? Well, when I wrote this study originally for the women who were in, in my own study that I lead, uh, one of my friends had said, oh, you should do the book of Hebrews. It's just about the right length because we always do a 10 or 11 week semester. And I thought, oh, yeah, that sounds really nice and neat. And, and we, what we do, what our strategy is, is we do a year in the Old Testament and a year in the New Testament. And so I thought, gosh, I just am ready to get back to the New Testament. Let's do a nice, easy New Testament study. Well, the joke is <laughs> me because Hebrews is not. Yeah, yeah. Go ahead. No, not really a New Testament study. It's really an Old Testament, New Testament study, which it wasn't like I hadn't read Hebrews. I should have seen it coming. I just hadn't really thought it through. Uh, but it ended up being a real labor of love to put that study together because uh, if there's ever a book that forces you to reconcile the God of the Old Testament with the God of the New, it's it's Hebrews. And, and, and it does so through the way that it presents Christ to us and uh, and and just keeps hammering home the message of um, you thought this was good. Jesus is better. You thought this was good. Jesus is better all the way through. Um, and, and it's another one of those books that we think we kind of know, you know, we know, we know the Hebrews Hall of Fame or Hall of Faith, however you describe it. And we know Hebrews 12 about running the race. And, you know, we have these little sections of it that we're like, yeah, 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 I know Hebrews. Uh, and then you get into it and you see the full sweep of the author's argument. And it just, it's just glorious. Mm. Oh, I can't wait to do it. Cannot wait to do it. I, I have, God is taking me back to Hebrews a little bit and I, it is, it's just, it really is the old and the new and the better covenant and the better priest and the better, it's all better. <laughs> uh, well, I could talk to you forever, my friend, but um, as we close, I would just love to have you pray for these girls who, who are out there. Some of them are just, they are Bible study girls to the core. They love the word of God. Um, they're in it all the time. There's others who who really want to want to love the the Word of God, but don't know quite where to start. Uh, but all of us, all of us, really Jesus girls, and wanting more of Him. Would you just pray a blessing over us as we close? Oh, absolutely, Heavenly Father, we come to you and lift up each of these listeners wherever she finds herself, whether she has spent years in your Word or whether she's wondering where to begin. Lord, I pray that you would give each of them the resolve to go again to your word and to open it expectantly and full of hope and with the curiosity of who is this God with whom we have to do. And I pray especially, Lord, for those who are thinking, as I remember so clearly thinking in my earlier years, I'm just not that interested in it. And I think it's hard and it feels like a book that was written to someone else. Lord, I pray that you would grant them a desire, a new desire in their hearts to want to know you through your word, not just to simply learn um, stories that seem out of place or ideas that are hard to follow, but to understand that in those stories and in those uh, letters and in these collections of wisdom sayings, 
that your very person is going to be revealed to them. I ask, Lord, that you would give them a desire for your word and a hunger for it. And Lord, I pray that in their local churches, that they would find places that are open to them to gather and to learn together. Um, And that in their times where they're alone at home and they find that they have a moment, that they would sit and open and read and that your spirit would speak to them as they do so. Um, Lord, thank you that you have given us that and that he delights to make you known to us. And I pray that whether these women find themselves in a season of life where they have a lot of time or a little time to give to this, you would prompt them to give what time they have. Uh, And Lord, that you would reassure them that you know their stage of life and that you honor what they give, that you honor the investment that they give and you always, always, always yield a return on that investment. Thank you that you're gracious to us in that. And we ask these things in your son's name. Amen. Amen. Well, you guys, boy, there are tidbits from today's interview that I'm still chewing on. Fresh approaches to Bible study that I'm excited to start applying in my own time in God's Word. For the Bible is living and active, you guys. It has the power to change us from the inside out. And boy, how I want that. How I need that. (laughs) How about you? Well, Jen's new study on Hebrews is releasing January 2nd, 2020, and I hope that you will go and check it out. We're going to be doing it with our own Ladies Bible Study here in Montana. You can head over to the show notes at joannaweaverbooks.com forward slash 020, and you'll find links to that study as well as Jen's other amazing Bible studies. And hey, can I just ask you to do something for me? I know it's a busy time of year, but if you haven't already subscribed to The Living Room, would you take time to do that on your favorite podcast platform? And if you're enjoying what you've been listening to, I hope you'll leave a review. It not only encourages my heart, but it really does help get the podcast out into the hands of other listeners as well. Well, until next time, sweet friends, I hope you'll develop a hunger for God's Word. And it only happens as we begin getting into this love letter that God has given to us. And as we do, you guys, the Holy Spirit takes the Word of God and uses it to transform our lives so that we are able to keep living and loving and leading like Jesus. God bless.